Welcome to HXGN Radio. My name is Brian, and today I am with Sarah Masterson, Director of Positioning Services, and Sandy Kennedy, VP of Innovation from Hexagon's Autonomy and Positioning Division. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the experiences in the search for gender equality and parity while working at the cutting edge of technological innovation. Sandy and Sarah will be sharing their experiences and what they believe, too. So thank you both for joining me. Appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, I'm glad Happy to be here. To be here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here in person actually talking. You know, it's not over <laughs> Zoom anymore. It seems like that, that we've been doing a lot lately. So I'm Teams. It's all teams. teams. Oh, okay. So Teams, Zoom, Discord, whatever, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> throw in the uh, fill in the blank thing. All right. Well, I need to know a little bit about you. So first of all, tell us about yourself, what you do, what you're nerding out on. Doesn't have to be nerdy. Don't worry. Just anything you're, you're excited about right now. So uh, who would like to go first? Okay, go I'll it. go. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Sarah. So I've been at Hexagon AMP for... 19 years and spent pretty much my entire career in geomatics related fields. I have a degree in geomatics engineering from the University of Calgary. Um, born and raised, live in Calgary. Um, Love it. When I'm not um, at work doing um, engineering type things, then <laughs> I, I like to be traveling, uh, reading, spending time with my family. Um, every weekend, I like to be out doing something outdoors, hiking, skiing, biking. Nice. Um, that's my passion. You're a good place for it, too. Excellent. Yeah. You, you better like the outdoors when you live in Calgary. <laughs> I know. I kind of feel that in Colorado, too, you know? Yeah. Same kind of thing. You know, if you're in Colorado, you better like the outdoors in some way or another, even though I don't ski. I know. What? I know. <laughs> I know. I don't know. It's a knee issue, I guess. I don't know. That's what I hear. Well, yeah, the skiing's better in Calgary than it is in Colorado. Really? Oh, well, I'm going to say oh. that. I'm sure there'll okay, people gonna, argue with me, but hey, like I said, I'm not a skier, so I don't know. But yeah, I'm sure there'd be some people that would fight one. That'd be a good duel, though. Which one is better? In oh, it's happened. It's happened. There's oh, ski okay. movies about that for sure somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Sandy, go for it. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, I was just thinking, Sarah. Did you start before a year before me? Yep. Oh. Uh, 2003. 2003. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I joined Hexagon in 2004. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's pretty funny if somebody had told me um, that I would end up working for the same company for 18 years, I probably would have been like, ha, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yep. here we are. So yeah, I'm um, responsible for the uh, research program at uh, Autonomy and Positioning. Um, so all of the innovation activities, the things that aren't a product yet, but maybe could be a product someday if it works out, maybe it doesn't work out. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm also a geomatics engineer. I also did my uh, undergrad and then a master's at the University of Calgary as well. I'm not from Calgary. Um, Sarah is actually pretty unique. Hardly anyone's actually from Calgary. Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I actually, I, I moved there uh, for geomatics. I was probably one of the only people that showed up on my first day of engineering when everybody takes common classes, common core classes for the first uh, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And my first day, I was probably the only one like, I'm going to be a geomatics engineer. What do I have to do to be a geomatics mm. engineer? Yeah. That's, That's funny awesome. because when I was in engineering, I had no idea what geomatics engineering was <laughs> and went to all of the different sessions about, oh, here's electrical, here's mechanical, here's civil. And then the um, it was actually a female that was a professor that was presenting on geomatics engineering. I said, that's what I want to do. Interesting. Oh, I, yeah. I know um, it was really weird. My uh, high school guidance counselor in like rural Manitoba uh, went to some professional development day and somebody from the geomatics engineering department presented on it. And she came back and said, hey, uh, you said you were interested in engineering and like, because you have good marks in calculus and physics, there's this new kind of engineering. Maybe you want to look into it. And I was like, oh, satellites. That yeah. seems like a lot of Physics and calculus. Yeah, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> I was curious, you know, like what, what kind of got that, that passion going on there? Just more interest in the, like, what was it, I guess? 
Uh, actually, for me, uh, so I grew up on a farm. So I grew up on a farm. And uh, when I was in high school, it was kind of uh, the uh, early mid 90s. And the first precision agriculture systems were happening. Um, so this was mostly yield mapping then. And um, yeah, I had decided I wanted to be uh, an engineer because uh, I wanted uh, I wanted a job that uh, had a really, um, what's the right way to put it? There wasn't a lot of uh, risk that you weren't going to be able to have a good living. Gotcha. So, um, you know, it wasn't one of those things where you had to be like a superstar at it to be able to have a decent living. Yeah. Uh, I think I was in grade nine and they had um, shared information about um, different career paths and what the average salary was five years after graduation, whatever the minimum like educational requirements were. Mm -hmm. And engineering had like the best, like mean median salary five years out uh, with only a four year uh, undergraduate degree. So I was like, ah, that sounds good. So looking back at it, I was like, that was a super engineering way to make a decision. There you go. <laughs> I was just thinking that was very practical. It's not yeah. at all how I fell into engineering. But, <laughs> but it was interesting. So what drew me into it was actually uh, like the, the idea of satellites and GPS. But then when I got into it and I learned a bunch of other things um, that I had observed my whole life growing up in the prairies and I didn't know what the purpose of it was. So uh, nerding out, uh, <laughs> I, like is anyone who's flown over Western Canada and a lot of the US, there's this perfect patchwork of grids, yeah, right? Yep. And and I didn't, I just grew up on that's, that's what every road is due north mm -hmm. or due west. That's just the way it is. Um, and it wasn't until I got into geomatics engineering that, you know, I learned what that was and that land surveying was still a thing and it didn't stop in like 1897. And those grids are like a, a physical manifestation of a geodetic grid system. So I, yeah, it was, it was really kind of one of those things where I, was interested in one aspect of it. And then I found out other things that I had no idea were connected. And yeah, that's, that's where I was. I so. love it. That's interesting. Um, you obviously had a better guidance counselor than I did because my experience <laughs> in junior high school was, oh, you need to pick your courses for high school. And I remember my mom said I came home one day almost in tears because the guidance counselor had told me, no, you cannot take calculus and and physics and chemistry and biology. That's too heavy of a course mm. load. And so sh she went in and talked to the guidance counselor and said, yes, she can. My daughter can do this. And then they let me into all those courses and then it was fine. And I applied to engineering and all the rest is history. But mm. I had a very strong mother, not such a great guidance counselor, making sure that I ended up where I needed to be. Yeah, My school yeah. was so small that you couldn't take all of them at the same oh. time. <laughs> <laughs> so biology lost out. I never took any biology. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and that was one I liked, but <laughs> I understand though. I understand. Well, that's cool. So obviously clearly a passion for it and moved in. Now, how did you get into Hexagon though? What, what drew you both into that? Oh, uh, so uh, that one's uh, okay, so uh, the entity, the Hexagon entity, actually, when we started working, it wasn't a Hexagon entity. It was Novatel was the mm -hmm. was the standalone company. Yep. Um, and it was in Calgary, uh, very close ties to the geomatics engineering department at the UC. So I had done my master's in inertial navigation. Now, this is a long time ago. Inertial yeah. navigation is a lot more um, common now than it was back in 2000. And anyway, I, I wanted to work in GPS INS. And uh, I was looking around for what I... I, what I 
where could I do that? Sure. Um, so actually I was at another company for a while and I was doing um, just straight inertial uh, pipeline inspection. And uh, I was the only geomatics engineer there. And uh, I was like, this is not a good professional development environment. Like this is not for me. Um, so I was like, well, Novatel. Novatel at that time was working on, it was in the research group, their GPS INS system. And I was uh, uh, ruthless in, in, in hunting them. <laughs> Yeah. And being very insistent that I wanted to work there. Nice, nice. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, when I graduated from geomatics engineering, everyone wanted to work at Novatel, and I had an interview at Novatel and the opportunity to go work there. But um, I had made the conscious decision that, born and raised in Calgary, I wanted to go experience some other places. So I looked for work elsewhere, and then I um, took a job in San Diego working for a company that did offshore um, offshore navigation and positioning for seismic applications, for fiber optic cable installations, for um, pipeline inspections and things like that. And what's really funny, small world, that company um, has now parts of it have been acquired also by Hexagon. Um, so they're the, and, and it's really come full circle because I used on the, the ships that we worked offshore, I used Novatel. Uh, GPS cards mm -hmm. in our um, systems and correction services from um, a company called Raycal, which was kind of the precursor in a lot of that technology. And the employees from that organization are now actually part of Veripause, which is part of Hexagon Autonomy and Positioning. So that's where I started my career um, after, we, after I had uh, my first child in the U.S., I decided yeah. I wanted to come back to Canada uh, to be closer to family. So then sure. when we came back to Canada, then I said, okay, now I'll go work in Novotel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and great. I've been here ever since. So it's been a really interesting. That's cool. Well, yeah. So 18 years for you, Sandy, and then 19 yeah. years for you, Sarah. That, that's awesome. So obviously you've seen a lot and I'm, I'm curious to you know have you share some of your experiences along the way, but let's talk gender parity because I know that's the main topic that we wanted to get into today. How have you seen that change throughout the years or has it changed? I mean, wh what have you even seen? I guess that would be the question. It's been a slow change. Um, I mentioned that I worked offshore when I first started working. Um, I made a really big effort to actually try to blend in and not stand out as a, as a woman. It pretty much just drew unwanted attention. And um, so 25 years ago when I started working, it was I just wanted to be one of the guys and um, do everything that I could to to try to, you know, blend in with, with the guys and not necessarily bring a unique female perspective. Um, I think that that has absolutely changed when I look at where we are now, especially our part of Hexagon within uh, um, autonomy and positioning. We have a lot of women. Um, it's much different. I used to be well, the only... It's, comparatively, we it's, have a lot wait, of women. It's better. <laughs> I used to be the only woman working um, offshore and even back in the office processing data, I was one of only a handful of women, um, maybe 10%. And so um, now that still happens for sure. It's quite common where you're still the only female in the room in a meeting. Um, but absolutely just from a uh, percentage of employees that are females and the number of females that you now see in, you know, more senior positions is definitely improving, but uh, we're, we're not at parity yet for sure. There's, there's still progress to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of it. 
I never worked in the field, like not for like a, like I had short stints, but it was never like my full-time job to be in the field. So in a lot of ways, I don't know if I have seen that much change. Again, my alma mater was about 25% um, female under engineering undergraduate students. It's still about 25% female under in, undergraduates. And then in, in our home province, uh, only about 10% of practicing engineers are women. So in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of the programs that are trying to increase the number of like female engineering students i'm like but why hmm. if you can't retain them in the industry why produce why, why why encourage more people to take it if they aren't being retained in industry maybe you should look at why they're not being retained in industry yeah. what's going on there but my experiences in industry i mean actually novatel has had a lot of and geomatics in general has had a lot of prominent um women professors and like key technical people. Um, so like Janet's not here at Hexagon Live, but like internally referred to as the mother of our RTK algorithms inside of Novatel. It, it's pretty rare um, to have uh, someone who was a technical specialist for their whole career. Like that's uh, a woman who's probably a... Mm, close to retirement yeah she's close to retirement yeah yeah no so I mean she's got 15 years on me for for sure right so there was a lot of actually very um there was a lot of prominent women especially in in technical roles so yeah I never for for my specific area I don't know if I've seen it change that much but in a lot of ways there was a pretty good situation even you know 20 20 years ago type of thing okay yeah and I should probably worth pointing out that Sandy does much more technical work than I do. I actually work in marketing and product management. So using my engineering background to kind of make that link between what is the customer looking for and understanding, having that background and understanding the technology and being able to then interface with our engineering teams. And so maybe that's why I see maybe a bit more of a shift than than she does, because I am sure. working more um, on the business side or working with marketing teams, which do traditionally have more women yeah. in them. Okay. So you mentioned like industry retention. Why do you think that there's not a retention? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's my own like personal speculative. No, that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm curious because I think there's a lot of what's the word awareness that we need to bring to the table. I think the first five years of your career after you finish your like you're done your school and you're going out into industry. I think if you have a certain level of, um, I don't know, idealism or expectations or something like that, um, the first three to five years of your career can have quite a few pretty crappy moments in it. Mm-hmm. There'll be a lot of times when you're like, I, I got a master's degree to do what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that if you haven't found a place where you feel comfortable and you feel valued and you're doing interesting work, which a lot of people in university think they're going to be able to do really interesting work, you know, day two on the job. Oh. <laughs> and and, and yeah. it often, you got to build up to that and you're going to do some not awesome, like, you know, stimulate, like there, 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 there is some slightly drudgery kind of things that have to happen, or you've got to like learn and get to a certain level of expertise and experience before you can do things. 
I think that if you are in that period of your career and if you happen to um, have a maternity leave, then I think it's hard to come back to a place that you haven't felt like confident and maybe uh, maybe you're not excited about your work. Maybe you haven't got to the point where it's like fun and, and cool. And then you have a hard choice on your hands, right? So how do you go back to it? And I think there is some... Uh, I think that definitely, and and that's um, I always say it's my goal to make <laughs> it's my goal to make all of the managers as terrified of their female employees taking maternity leave as they are of their <laughs> male employees taking paternity leave, because yeah. that's the part that drives me nuts. Is it's the assumption that well, of course you're the mother everything's going to stop because you're the mother. And really, I mean, in some ways that could be really insulting to men because like, come on, yeah. like you're, yeah, yeah. you're not a functioning adult that's also capable of doing this. Like, so I, I, that's, I, I think that's part of it. Um, and I think there is maybe an idealism aspect of it because um, a lot of, it's probably changing now, but for m my generation, a lot of women didn't have mothers who worked in an engineering discipline. And um, there's a lot of things about working in an organization and the reality of it that... Um, it's not super awesome every day. Oh, of course not. And, yeah. and I think that a lot of women may have higher expectations for what it's going to be like. And if it doesn't meet their expectation, you do have more choices as a woman. Because um, for people who know me, they'd pretty sure I had a brain injury if I was like, you know what, guys? <laughs> I've decided that uh, I'm going to spend more time with my family and I'm quitting my job and I'm going to stay home with my family. Um, the majority of women who say that would like people would only say positive things to them. Like mm -hmm. what a great choice you've made, blah, blah, blah. Could my husband say that and get the same level of societal support? Yeah. In, yeah. In no way. Yeah. So I think it's still the default assumption that a woman's career is an option Whereas for men, it is 100% a requirement that you will be earning an income. And so I, I think a part of it is, is there's maybe more choice, but I think it could be tied to just uh, higher expectations for maybe an idealized, you know, what, yeah. what is the work world going to look like? Interesting. Yeah, I totally agree with all yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> you said that really well. Yeah. Uh, maybe something I would add is that I do think we have an opportunity now um, post-COVID when we've seen how well people are able to work at home mm -hmm. and give people a little bit more balance and ability to, okay, I'd like to take an hour off in the middle of the day and go watch um, something at my kid's school or go volunteer at my kid's school. And so I think it's going to be really important. I, I agree that one of the biggest challenges as an organization is that when um, – women start having children, they do face this very difficult choice um, about coming back to work. And absolutely, if we're not giving them opportunities to feel like they are doing something meaningful, then of course, raising children is very meaningful and many women choose to do that instead. And so yeah. we yeah. have to be making sure that we have something um, very interesting for them to come back to. And we are not limiting their career progression. We are making sure that they have opportunities to, to progress um, and that they don't feel that they've put their career on hold for a year. But I, I do think that there's opportunity here to strike a better balance um, and present working parents in general. I don't want to just put mothers into that category because in Canada we've done there's a, a it's becoming a lot more common for dads to take time off as well, which mm -hmm. I think is fabulous. And organizations are starting to to recognize that and see that um, okay, both of the parents are contributing equally to 
raising this family and both of their careers are important. So I, I do think we have an opportunity now to hopefully provide some better options for working parents so that they sure. want to come back to work. Yeah. And these are really, really good points. And I appreciate you bringing them all up because, I mean, I've seen it too. And, uh, you know, you brought up the career progression issue too. I think that's one that I've seen ruts within certain careers. It's like, you know, you get to a point and it's like, well, there's nowhere else to go. So you have to do something that doesn't make sense. And I don't know how to fix that one either, but that's another thing. Well, I mean, I know how to fix it, but <laughs> nobody listens to me. So <laughs> yeah. And then imagine you've reached that rut and then, and you take a year off and then you come exactly. back and then you wonder, okay, what are the options that are actually available to me? And while you've been away, somebody else maybe at a similar level exactly, was yeah. presented with an opportunity that you weren't given because yeah. you were on leave for a mm -hmm. year. So as an organization, we, and we need to look at ways that we can um, ensure that people um, who do choose to take time off to spend, to spend on maternity or paternity leave are still given those career options. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is very difficult. Okay. So talk about some of the unique perspectives that you've seen, you know, from, from, okay. So for example, like how did you feel that your gender gave you a unique, a unique perspective on like a challenge that you faced at work? We were talking about this one beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one's hard to answer because I, I can't, I don't know what unique perspective my gender gives me. I only okay. know what my own, well, I only know my perspective and it's mine. And, Fair point. <laughs> and for me, I mean, I've only moved through life in <laughs> my current form. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I was attracted to an engineering career because it was uh, measurably objective. It wasn't subjective. It wasn't like, yeah. So, so because it was that, um, I, I like to say, even though I don't wear nail polish, um, you can't tell who typed the lines of code that just compiled. You can't tell if there was nail polish on those hands that typed those lines of code. If it compiles, it compiles. Like, well done. Hopefully it sets the, passes the set of tests that says it meets the requirements next. So I, I, I mean, as Sarah was saying, throughout my career, I have always wanted to bring an engineering perspective mm. and I have never wanted to be uh, identified or recognized as a female engineer or a woman fill in the blank. My goal has always been to make people forget mm -hmm. they're dealing with anyone other than Sandy, make it completely individual. And I, I, I don't know what somebody's notion is of what what being a woman is like everybody has a different definition of that <laughs> no but i mean that perspective right there is actually really good because you're saying i want to be known as an engineer yes and i don't want to be you know someone's oh well you're this person or you're this. it's just i'm an engineer it's it's equal essentially yeah so that is a perspective and that's that's perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, until LinkedIn, uh, I mean, Sandy with a Y is my name. Until mm -hmm. LinkedIn happened, you had to meet me in person yeah. to find out I was a woman. Hmm. <laughs> now my picture's up there. Yeah. It's obvious. <laughs> now everyone knows. <laughs> it's yeah, all I think, over. I think it's really difficult to, to identify um, what, as a woman, um, makes how that creates a unique perspective at work. Yeah. I found this question very awkward and yeah. difficult to I answer. I, I would say in general, <laughs> um, we just need to recognize that any team, company, group is 
is benefits from having diverse people on it, sure. whether that be men, women, people of color, different backgrounds, different experiences. The more diverse your team is, the better job you're going to do. You're going to get much more different perspectives and, and inputs um, and also just having that diversity within your organization and your team makes sure that you're always evolving and you're not stagnating with with just kind of like group think or one way to look at things. So I, like I look at it more that way that it's important to have all types of diversity in yeah, in the agreed. company agreed. and in the teams you're working Personality on. types and everything. I mean, everybody yeah. has different strengths. You know, it's funny. So just to kind of clarify here, I didn't write this question either. It was given to me. And so I, I find it interesting, though, that, um, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of going off like, oh, yeah, I'll make sure to get through these questions. But I find it interesting how it was awkward for you to answer this. And I didn't know. I thought you gave, you know, you wrote it and gave it to me on this. So interestingly, though, this sparked some really, I like this conversation that we're having because it's kind of like, well, hold on. That's not the way we want to be, you know, identified yep. in that perspective. So yep. I'm actually glad that you <laughs> Maybe the awkward moment was helpful. Yeah, in well, many ways. I was like, hmm, I could just be a really lousy interview and be like, no, no, I, <laughs> there's nothing. I, I have, there's nothing. No, yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was not nice. No, to be I, I actually really like how you how you answered. Both of you answered this because I think yeah. it does kind of bring it up that oh, hold on, that's not the way we want to be looked at. You know? Oh no, yeah, I like this. I when especially when I was an undergraduate, to be perfectly honest, I avoided all the women in science and engineering things because uh to be blunt, I I I I wanted to be oh what's the right way to put it. I didn't want it to be seen that it was what's the right way to put it. Uh, any kind of like weakness or mm -hmm. needing additional anything or special. Yeah. It was like Have you have you been treated that way? I'm curious. Treated which way? Like people have, have treated you seeing a weakness or like you just said, have people actually considered you to have a weakness? Oh, I think the way I describe it best is it's whether you come into a situation and it's whether you get an assumption of competence or an assumption of incompetence. Um, so I, I've had some people say, oh, no, no, no. I always assume, you know, because there's so few women in engineering that any woman in engineering I'm dealing with, you know, must be. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, fine. I'll tell you how it feels on my side most of the time. So yeah, no, throughout my career, I've uh, I've been preparing for client meetings, getting the room ready and someone's come in and assumed I was part of the administrative staff that was there to get it, you know, ready. I, I've been in trade show booths and somebody's asked to, uh, wanted to ask a technical question at a time in my career when I was like writing the lines of code that was running on that device and uh, not getting that I was the person to answer it. So, mm. so I say it's often fairly subtle and you'll come into a meeting and you have to spend the first maybe 15 minutes of it um, throwing out enough little um, bits of uh, credibility building some things uh, to, to bring it up. And, you know, once you get through that 15 or 20 minutes of it, I, I usually have that person. Yeah, but still that's a waste of time and also, that's not respectful at all. It doesn't uh, feel good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of the, yeah. It's true. Yeah. Every, I, I, told, I have had similar experiences. And I, in new situations, when you're meeting new people in new um, customer meetings, you do always have, have this feeling that you have to first prove yourself. Um, and it's, it is subtle. It is in the kind of behaviors, body language, whether somebody is making eye contact, how much um, you're included in the conversation, whether you are actually consulted for, oh, what do you think about this? Um, and of course, not, not everybody is like this. Sure, There's some sure. scenarios you go into and it's, it's wonderful. Everybody yeah, yeah. is very open and collaborative and treats everybody with respect. But um, I cannot 
cannot even keep track of the number of times in my career that I have had to establish, yes, there's a, a reason that I'm here. I am contributing from a business or technical perspective. I am not here to bring you coffee or take notes for the meeting. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so yeah. absolutely, that that does still happen all the time. I'm curious, do you see it in um, like an age category more often or is it all over the place these days? Maybe sometimes it is. I would Generational, I guess, was there what I was asking. There is some generational aspect. I don't want to lump everybody into one category. No, no, I'm, I'm just asking more. It I'm, is I'm more likely. Too. There's also some, um, sometimes it's cultural. Oh, okay. Um, okay. With, with some cultures that are just more deferential to men, it becomes more difficult to establish yourself as the technical um, expert or senior person in the room. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say there's much of a difference on, on generational things. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a bit of a mix. Usually what you find is when you first start the conversation, um, the questions directed towards, well, uh, me, um, they'll start off really like shallow and gentle mm. and like super superficial. And then you're like, oh, okay. And then that's how you dig in and be like, oh, well, you said this and then drill, 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 drill toss out a couple credibility building terms and like, okay, great. Can we get yeah. down to it now? <laughs> <laughs> Can you ask the real question that yeah. you had to ask in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I usually take the, you know, um, what's the right. If, uh, I view the, it is as a, uh, as hosting and hospitality. So if, if somebody, you know, is expecting coffee or tea or whatever, of course I'll do that if I'm hosting you because that's gracious and that's yeah, what you would absolutely. do as the host. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody, everybody should. Yeah. yeah, Agreed. Okay, so let's kind of wrap this up then with what kind of advice you would have then moving forward. So advise women coming into the field and advise companies, you know, on how they should be doing things. Talk about mentorship. You know, let's just, I'm curious to know what you think should be done on all those levels. Definitely organizations, I think, need to make an effort to have programs for underrepresented groups. That includes women. That includes people of color. Um, we've had a mentoring program at Hexagon AMP for a while now. Um, but as part of and I've participated in that program, and I've always tried to seek out a uh, relationship with a female mentor so that I am mentoring uh, a female mentee. Because through my career, I've had many wonderful mentors. None of them have been women. I, not, not that I haven't had wonderful women mentors. I have <laughs> literally had no female mentors mm. <laughs> myself. So I have made a point of becoming a mentor to younger women in our organization because I think it's, it's really, you can learn things from, from anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one thing that I found that I was lacking is being able to speak with somebody who understood what I was going through, understood what it was like to juggle a demanding career with raising a family and, um, so I think as an organization, we absolutely need to put programs like that in place, make sure that there are training programs to present back to the conversation we had about making sure there's career opportunities for women to progress throughout the organization. We'll make sure that they have development and training opportunities so that they can progress into more leadership roles. I like it. Yeah, I, I think... Um I was trying to think, I actually think I have had a few female mentors, not like a, not like a, a formal mentorship relationship, but I have had a few female mentors on the technical side for sure. For the company aspect of it, and not to make it about men, but I think a lot of it is actually uh, placing expectations on, on the men as well. 
I manage a group. And to be honest, I, until I had children of my own, I had the luxury of being able to stay at the office as long as I needed to get whatever I needed done. Um, because, you know, I didn't have to be at, you know, daycare at five 30, no later to like do pickup. And then once I had those constraints on my time, I did get uh, more conscious of people wasting my time um, <laughs> in, in the core business hours because yeah. I had a constraint. Now, again, I often would be back at my desk to finish or my computer to finish whatever email I wasn't able to finish. But that was something that I became conscious of uh, the men in my group who I knew had young children. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, and you should go home right now too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think part of it is, is for, for companies. Um, yeah. That definitely not putting a, a black mark against anybody's name who takes paternity leave and viewing them as uncommitted to the job because man, I've never done so much work at 10 PM until I had children because mm -hmm. that's the time I had to do it. Yeah. Um, and on the other, and it's a short period actually. Uh, I mean, again, it's kind of silly to work for a company for 18 years. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so what is six months of maternity leave yeah. in 18 years? Like, yeah. like what, what is that? That's like, true. It's, so, I mean, there's a longevity aspect of not everybody works at a company for that long. Yeah. So I would say definitely uh, reaching out to those younger women or actually anyone who feels like they don't, if they don't have a voice, right? The number of times I sat in a meeting room and was like, that's weird. Why is nobody mentioning blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It seems really obvious to me, but no yeah. one's bringing it up. Oh my God. It must be obvious. And then two weeks later, holy crap, that was not obvious to anyone else. I should have said that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or pointing out and saying, what do you think? And trying to encourage that and, yeah. and build and build the, the confidence there. And then really, you know, taking a good hard look look at hiring practices and, you know, what is it that you envision as someone who's a manager or a leader, you know, get explicit about it. What is it about some individual that makes you think they don't have leadership qualities? What is it? Be explicit. Yeah. Don't let anyone just absorb sort of the unspoken societal expectation or implication about something like that. No, you're going to have to say to me, no, I don't think that you are ready for that position because we think you're not going to be able to focus on your job enough because you have a two-year-old at home. Mm. Say it. Yeah. But you won't. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. My goodness. Well, thank you. I know we could go on a lot more with this, but I, I really appreciate what you have both said here. And, and I think it's important. I mean, clearly it's important, obviously, but I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad you're getting out and speaking out and, you know, making changes. So hopefully the changes start moving faster. <laughs> let's let's move towards that. Mm. We'll, we'll hope for it. But anyway, <laughs> thank you both for your time and thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Sarah Masterson, Director of Positioning Services and Sandy Kennedy, VP of Innovation from Hexagon's Autonomy and Positioning Division. Thank you very much for joining us here on HXGN Radio. For more information and to listen to additional episodes, head over to iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And of course, please visit hxgnspotlight.com for more information and more stories from Hexagon. Have a wonderful day and thank you again for listening. Thank you.